today with Catherine Ruinala. Praise the Lord. I um I took some time today to rewatch um, the movie The Passion of the Christ, and I've you know I've seen it many times, and whatever you may think of it, I, I just think the opportunity to be reminded of the suffering of Jesus and what He did for us is just good for my heart. And you know, some people get tripped up and they don't like this or they don't like that about different movies and portrayals and stuff and just put that aside and think about the opportunity for a whole um, whole nation as we come before him and ask the Lord, Lord, give us revelation of what it means to have, have you as our Savior and Lord. You know, Paul said, I have determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. When Tom and I were on holidays just recently, we watched a documentary on crucifixion, just um, a secular documentary on what um, they have discovered archaeologically on what crucifixion looked like. And they're just beginning to understand the horrors of this form of execution and how horrific it actually was. We can, we celebrate it, we've got a little, I'm wearing a cross and, you know, we, we, have, we have the cross as a symbol of Christianity and that's a good thing. He's risen, praise the Lord. But the cross was such a horrific way. It was the most painful, excruciating, drawn out way that they could think of to make people suffer. And yet Jesus not only suffered and died on the cross, he suffered so much more before he even got there. Beaten, whipped, until he was marred beyond recognition. You know, the thought of what he's done is, is hard for us to actually comprehend. You know, no book or movie could ever capture the fullness of what Jesus suffered for us. The, the way they spat in his face, the the constant um, abuse and, and um, betrayal of the people who just a week before had welcomed him with palm branches and how it would feel, the lies that were told about him as false witnesses were brought. And, and yet not once did he open his mouth and, and, and try to rebuke them or he just submitted himself to the will of the Father. And it, it's, so, it's so powerful to think about what he did. I, I want to read a passage from Isaiah 53. Open your ears to listen with fresh ears. Sometimes we can get so familiar with the Bible, we can quote it, we can say it, we know it. But I want you to think about the cross and the reality that actually this was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ was crucified, yet it prophesies of what he would do, the Messiah. And when he came, so many didn't even recognize. You know, I, I think sometimes when it comes to end times, people have got all their theories. They figure they, they've got it figured out. I know what's going to happen. And I'm really careful to... to not say that because if they didn't figure it out the first time, it's possible that maybe we're not seeing everything the second time. Like, but I, this I know, 
Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Hallelujah. There is a bodily return of Christ. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. Hallelujah. But Isaiah 53, listen to this. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. This, this one who had mercy like we've never seen before was shown no mercy by his tormentors. Despised, hated, utterly unjustly. You know, I get hurt when I get the trolls on the internet. I'm like, oh, that hurt. But Jesus, he had never done a single thing wrong. Holy, he had done nothing but love them. Yet he was despised, spat on, cursed, accused, lied about. But verse 5, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes, his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You know, it struck me watching it portrayed again that that he did exactly as it was prophesied. They'd lie about him and he wouldn't defend himself. He just, and yet when Pilate would say, I've got the power to take your life. And Jesus said, well, no one's got the power. I freely lay down my life. And this, our strong and glorious God, yet he, yet he didn't, he didn't answer. He didn't, he didn't respond to the jeers and the accusations. He just looked at them. He loved them. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. And we know of course, that Jesus was put in a rich man's grave, a borrowed tomb. It only needed to be borrowed because it was only going to be used for three days. It's, but the fulfillment of the prophecy is astonishing. If you want to study prophecy, look at this. It's amazing. Yet it pleased the Lord to, bru- to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You know, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He went through it. In the garden, he was praying. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And for the joy set before him, he willingly laid down his life. He allowed them to smite him, to punish him, to push the crown of thorns into his head, to whip him and beat him, to drive the nails through his arms and his feet, spear in his side. He did it willingly for the joy set before him. And the joy that was set before him was that you and he 
would have the opportunity to live together in eternity forever in perfect fellowship. That you would be able to look at him without fear or without shame, without guilt. No, the Bible says that light can have no fellowship with darkness. He is perfect light. And nobody could measure up because we all like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has sinned. No, not one is righteous. Nobody has measured up to the standard. And the wages of sin is death. So he bore our sin for us. He died in our place. It pleased the Lord to make him an offering for sin, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the, the one who would not just cover sin but actually take it away. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied for by knowledge, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. I love it. I, I love Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. Transgressions is interpreted sin. He was wounded. He was bruised for our iniquity. Iniquity being our crookedness, a different word to transgressions. He was he was crushed, he was beaten, he was whipped for everything about us that was crooked. He was beaten, he was punished so that you and I could have supernatural peace and that by his wounds, his stripes, we are healed. The sacrifice of what he did, the joy set before him is astonishing. That if anyone would believe on him, would say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he bore my crookedness, bore my sin on the cross. And if we will repent and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Like this, the, the man that was crucified alongside him. He was crucified and there were two others who were crucified alongside him. And one was saying, yeah, well, why can't you save us? Why can't you save yourself if you're the son of God? He's just mocking him as he was dying. Yet the other said, well, we've done wrong and we deserve to die, but he's done nothing. Lord, remember me when I come into your kingdom. And that simple response of saying, yeah, I, I deserve to be punished for what I've done but you don't, yet you are here taking this for us. Remember me, Lord, remember me, have mercy on me. If we will acknowledge our sin and, and believe that Jesus Christ will save our souls, if we believe as we exchange our sin, acknowledge, say, have mercy on me, Son of God, have mercy on me, Lord Jesus, he will come in and Jesus' answer was, this day you will be with me in paradise. Oh, the difference between the one that would humble themselves and not fight against the world till the end and hate everybody to the end, but instead humble themselves and say, I need mercy. I believe you are the saviour. Have mercy on me. Oh, happy day. And Jesus, in his great love, his delight at being able to say, you'll be with me this day in paradise. 
Jesus as, as they are sitting and gambling over his clothes at the foot of the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Mocking him. And yet he looks at them and loves them. It's probably my favorite verse in the Bible is, is the, where Jesus talking to the rich young ruler and the rich young ruler is having a whole heap of trouble trying to decide, oh, do I want to give up everything to follow him? The Bible says he looked at him and loved him. And I love that because that's the way he looks at me all the time. When I feel like he should be looking at me with like oh, rolled eyes, oh, I can't believe she still, still hasn't figured it out. Oh, I can't believe she messed up again. Oh, she's there. She goes, sins again. No, I can't look at you. I'm so annoyed with you. Never once, not one single day has he ever looked at me like that. I come to him and I go, oh, Jesus. And he's there with love in his eyes. He looks at me and he loves me. That's why it's my favorite verse. Because he looks at you all the time when you think he should be looking at you with disdain, with displeasure. He looks at you and loves you. He looked at the rich young ruler who was making the wrong choice. And he still looked at him and loved him. Ah, amazing love. How can it be? As I was watching again today and worshipping God and crying, oh God, and letting it touch my heart, I was struck by the fact that Jesus never sinned with his words. Just thought about it again. You never once, not even once, did you sin with your words, with your actions, with your thoughts? Did you never, he never once harbored bitterness in his heart or hatred or anger or frustration or, uh, that, that turned into sin? I thought about it and I, as I, the more I thought about it, I just started praying, Lord, show me how to live a sinless life. But you know, as I was thinking about this, the way that he never sinned with his words, the way he never complained, never once was guilty of complaining, never once had a, you know, a mean joke with the disciples about someone that was consistently giving him a hard time, never once had a sarcastic dig at somebody, never once, never, ever, and yet Culturally, habitually, we can get so normalized with sin that we don't realize the blind spots that we have. And as I watched today, I, my cry was, oh, Spirit of the Lord Jesus, teach me. I need, I need you to give me eyesalve. I need to be able to see. Because I think there's blind spots that I have allowed so habitually and so culturally that I've become desensitized. You know, our conscience, being born again, having received Jesus as Lord and Savior, our conscience still rumbles. But I, I'm talking about things that, you know, just thoughts or comments or 
things that we say that aren't holy, aren't pure, that Jesus wouldn't do, that, that we normalise. And yet, and then we walk around and we, we try and figure out why aren't we bold? Why aren't we confident? The Bible says the righteous are as bold as lions. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That you don't have to be afraid. Praise the Lord as you acknowledge your sin and you receive the mercy of Christ. You are free indeed. Even if your heart condemns you, the Bible tells us he's greater than our hearts. And if our hearts don't condemn us, whatever we ask, we receive. So we understand we cannot live in condemnation. But I wonder, sometimes I think we actually are dealing with guilt rather than condemnation. That, that's just, we're not even acknowledging that we've done the wrong thing because we've got blind spots that we aren't recognizing as sin. And yet our conscience is making us feel uncomfortable, but we've become so normalized. Does anyone know what I'm trying to express? The Bible addresses this. And in Revelation chapter 3, it's a letter to the Laodicean church, he says, because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything, and you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to apply to your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. This is the New Testament. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he's speaking to believers. I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I'm not trying to heavy you. I just want to take you on a, on a journey of what I believe the Holy Spirit is doing in his church in order to prepare us to start walking in the fullness of the glory and the manifestation of his power that he is longing for us to walk in. He wants us to walk in the fullness, the greatness of the power toward us who believe. But you know, it's going to require us to be zealous and repent. To actually ask, Lord, give me eyesalve for my blind spots. Now, you can say, I'm righteous, I'm clean, I'm holy. And, you know, if you've confessed your sin, if you've come to him and you've repented and received mercy, yes, you are. But tomorrow, in order to walk in righteousness, you need the help of the Holy Ghost. You need the Spirit of God enlightening the eyes of your understanding and the knowledge of him so that you can know what holiness looks like. Now, we can look at the life of Jesus and think, oh, it's impossible. Oh, he's the son of God. I could never be like that. And yet the promise 
of his redemption is not just to cover our sin, but to actually make us as he is in this world. So not just in the sweet by and by. Now, you and I have the power and the capacity by the Holy Ghost as new creations to live like the one who never sinned. Or we can just roll along like we have been. And you know what? You'll not experience the fullness of the peace and the joy that God has for you. But if you'll humble yourself and say, Lord, give me yourself. Take, I, I did this today. Lord, give me yourself. The nature of deception is you don't know you're deceived. <laughs> so give me yourself. Where I've habitually or culturally walked in selfishness or, 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 or with my words where I've had a habit of complaining or speaking about others in a way that you wouldn't. Lord, help me. Show me. Help me, Lord. I want my life to be a fragrant, pleasing offering to you. I'm not talking about striving to be something you're not. I'm talking about laying hold of the power to be who he says you are. Because in walking in that, you will find true joy, true life, true freedom. You will find life and life more abundant. Not without troubles, he said. They persecuted me, so they'll persecute you. But take heart, I've overcome the world. There is a joy and a peace from walking in this holy power and confidence of being like him as he is. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to put away the pointing of the finger. And some people have it as a ministry. It's my job to point out everybody else's faults. The Bible says, put away the pointing of the finger. Help us to put away gossip and slander. Do you need to know? Do you need to know about somebody you've never met and their sin? Do you need to know all the dirty details? I get a bit cranky about it. And people, I'm posting about this one who was caught in this sin. And like, why do I need to know about that? Now, you may have different thoughts, but I, I think we've normalized gossip. I think we've normalized slander. We've normalized not covering sin. Comparing ourselves, well, I might, I might not be perfect, but at least I haven't done that. Oh, God, have mercy. Oh, God, have mercy. Yet we've normalized it. Give us eyesight to see, Jesus. What are you reading? What are you tolerating? What are you listening to? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it of a good report? Or is it something that's going to make you feel better about yourself? Because, yeah, well, that one, he did this and he did that. Lord, help us to put away bitterness and hatred 
drunkenness, lying, sexual sin, all the nasty stuff, the manipulation, greed, selfish ambition, coarse joking. I mean, culturally, we can go, oh, yeah, it's just having a bit of a laugh. The Bible actually addresses coarse joking. Last, dishonoring your parents, laziness, complaining. I mean, the Holy Spirit is not there to whack you over the head with how bad you're doing, but he is presenting an opportunity for you to have a new life where your hands can be clean, your conscience can be cleansed and your heart can be redeemed and to know and to walk in freedom and truth. Having been born again, you may have sinned. And if you confess your sin to the Lord and say, I'm truly sorry, and you turn away from it and receive the mercy of Christ, he doesn't even remember it. He, ne- he won't even remember it, even if others do. He won't even remember it. I'm, I'm careful not to be talking about what someone else has done just in case they've repented. And I'm talking about something that God has forgiven. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Teach us your ways. Show us your paths. Guide us in the way everlasting. <laughs>